Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle, it's John Lamoureux. Okay, this week we're talking to a member of one of my favorite bands of the 90s. It is Chapter House guitarist, Stephen Patman. I don't know what everyone knows about Chapter House. They never really made a big enough dent in the States, not for me anyway, as a fan. They only managed two albums in the early 90s. Uh, Whirlpool, which featured Pearl, this song right here, that is probably their best known song. And then their follow-up album, which I like just as much, Blood Music. And then that was it, unfortunately. Now, all the guys went on to do other things. And if you like this sound, that kind of shoegazer sound, uh, mixed with some little bit of acid house, little some dance beats with like shimmery guitar, it, it's just gorgeous. And these guys did it better than many, many of the other bands that were kind of around at this time. I've always had a fascination with them. Well, Steven came on, thankfully, to talk with me. I've always wanted to have them on. But in a couple of weeks, to so the beginning of June, they're releasing a six-disc box set of all of their work called Chronology. It's got reissues of both albums. It's got all the B-sides, remixes. When you bought Blood Music originally, uh, if you were early about it, there was a bonus disc that came with it. That's included live stuff. It's tons of great material and uh, we're lucky to have it all so steven's here to talk about that and everything else all you know their experiences as brief as they might have been as i mentioned they've all gone on to do other things but chapter house itself unfortunately didn't last that long and what they did after they still play like the occasional reunion show and stuff like that there's no bitterness or anything like that but i hope that you guys if you weren't already familiar with them uh here's some things that you like because I think they are special, all right? Anyway, Stephen called me from his home outside of London. Hi, Hi. Stephen. Hi there. There we go. There you are. Uh, yeah. <laughs> good to see you. Sue, how are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for doing this with me. No worries. I love Chapter House. I'm really excited about this. So... I live in Denver, Colorado. I don't know if you've ever been here, but um, I lived in the UK. I lived in Cambridge in 1991. So I remember when Whirlpool came out. And um, okay, yeah, yeah, very striking. I, I wasn't sure for a while there what that what the album was, what that picture was. Till later, I realized it's probably a cat all, you know, curled up or yeah. whatever. But it took yeah. me a minute. <laughs> it was um, it was our art, the guy that did our art. A guy he called himself Albert Tupelo, but his name was Mark Pichard. But he was um he was kind of a graphics designer for the music magazines, and um mm. and then he started doing sleeves with us, um and then when we got to the album, he actually because we supplied the artwork for the all the first EPs, um and he kind of put it together, and then with uh -huh. the album, he had this picture of his cat curled up, um. So that's where it came. I mean, me and Andy went to some image bank to find a stock photo to sort of um, swimming pools, like kind of dark blue. So basically we used as, that as the black of the image because it was uh -huh. a black and white photo. So oh. the, cat, the cat's kind of made from the image of a swimming pool. Yeah. I've always, that blue is so striking mixed with the white. And the you know the fur of some kind you have to really look to see what kind of animal it is. Yeah, yeah. 
It stands out in the shops. Back when there were shops, I remember being in like HMV or whatever, and uh, seeing that on the end racks or whatever. And have I wasn't aware of Chapter House then. I mean, I I knew mm-hmm. the album cover. It was a few years later where I really mm-hmm. got excited about it. But anyway, yeah. Um, and then my it's my audio okay, by the way. Yeah, yeah. You sound yeah. great. Yeah, good. Good, good. Um, I, I okay, because so, I got all these mics in the place. I've set up a little stereo. Uh, oh, one here. oh, perfect. Um, yeah, you sound so, good. Oh, cool. Yeah, no problem. Speaking of so, album covers, blood music is this? Is this meant to be a vagina? And blood music? It's is... actually a, it, no. It's actually a key. Oh, it looks a little bit like ovaries. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Um, no, that was that wasn't the intention. Um, it was I was telling the neighbor because they just had some stained glass fit to their house, and um, we actually had that album sleeve is actually a stained glass window. Oh, that we okay. Had, that we had made by a glass maker, uh-huh. so we had the design made, and then got the guy to make it in. Sort of, it's about three foot square um, uh-huh. glass, and then had it <laughs> photographed for the sleeve. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure where the key concept came from. It was from the um art designers, and then it sort of kind of spread through into videos and stuff as well. Okay. I um, wondered if that was a you know a, a ovaries, blood music. If we're talking about menstrual no, cycle, which would have been weird. Actually, but... The the title actually came from a science fiction book by Greg Bear, uh-huh. Greg Bear. Um, which we, me and Andy had read at the time, and it's kind of like a. It was a sh- actually a short story, but um, and uh, it's about this kind of virus going into people's blood, and then, then they they start sort of. Um, connecting with other big people, and then it turns out like that all their blood is kind of like becomes one superorganism. Oh. Okay. Um, so it was kind of like in the idea of that sort of like bl- melting down individuals into a kind of greater consciousness. Yeah. Yeah. God, That's that deep. Was... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's deep. Yeah. I love it. Okay. I want to, before we get into everything else about you and the band and the box set and everything, I want to ask you about a couple of my favorite songs of yours. What I'll, I'll lead with the one that you wrote, Treasure.
Treasure off the first album is my favorite song off that album. Um, the thing I love about it are those kind of breakdowns. I'm in heaven, and you can feel some, you can hear some slight kind of congas going on in the background. That's the magic to me of Chapter House, is that, I mean, you've heard this a million times. It's that shoegazer sound with all the dance elements and the more exotic instrumentation happening along with it to give it these layers. You wrote Treasure. What do you remember about that? Well, I remember writing. I remember writing the chords. I think I I pretty much wrote all parts with that one. Wrote the bass line and uh, um, so it kind of came. All of the elements were kind of came from me, um, uh -huh. which which wasn't always the case. You know, often Simon would write great guitar parts over tracks and like um, um. But with that one, it was like the whole thing kind of came together um um in my head and. Uh, so that's probably why the bass line isn't kind of what a bass player would normally play. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, and with the congas, and I mean, we had congas in quite a lot of bongos. We had a friend who's a bongo yeah. player, and um, he played on quite a lot of the stuff. I think uh -huh. he, we just liked that syncopation. Yes. Um, and there was this kind of, there was this kind of, um, what you could call it, a kind of very white. Mm. Um, kind of uh, um, quality to that sort of music at the time, you know. It was uh -huh. and we were really into a lot of dance disco. I mean, we, we, I grew up in the late seventies when I was sort of hitting a my ten, a sort of ten or ten eight nine ten in the late seventies, and disco went straight in my head, and you yeah. know, um, and so black music was always kind of a big part of us. And even though, you know, that scene itself is kind of very white, you know what I mean? Yeah, yes. Um, <laughs> so we always liked something to have a groove, you know, and a, and, yeah. a, and and more than just the kind of indie, uh -huh. kind of, um, the standard indie beat, you know. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> so um, and so even in the early tracks, like the first thing, our first EP, Falling Down, we put a breakbeat on it, and um, uh -huh. we just like to have that. We just like to have that groove. We were really into Hendrix and Sly and the Family Stone as well. Like the yes. kind of.
falling down. We there was a psychedelic funk that was like kind of tied in with really what we were about, which was psychedelia, but with a groove, you know, funkadelic early stuff. And um, so that was kind of, even though it might not be apparent from the outside, that was kind of right through us, you know. I could see that. I mean, my from an outsider, especially from an American perspective, I just assume anyone who is incorporating. Who, is, who was probably more of a straightforward rock band and is then incorporating dance beats and psychedelia and trance in their music is just heavily effect, heavily influenced by Madchester, by Creation Records, by the Hacienda, by all that kind of stuff. I mean, Primal Scream does it. You know, obviously, anything relating to the Hacienda does it. Soup Dragons, Happy Mondays, all these kind of bands start doing that. Were you? Would you have said that was something that was influencing you as well? Because it was kind of sweeping the nation around that time, right? Well, it was kind of simultaneous to us, really. I mean, okay. they were maybe like a couple of years ahead. As, I mean, far as releases, you know. Okay. I mean, we we recorded our first few demos which actually ended up as some of the tracks on records in a studio down in Cornwall a residential studio that Silvertone who who um the um Stone Roses was signed to at the time ah yes another they one were, they, yeah. were, they were kind of, or Jive Records which was the kind of mother company um they were interested in us at the time and and Stone Roses booked the studio to record Fool's Gold but blew it out because they wanted to go to Reading Festival or something. So last minute we were offered that studio time. And so you can see that that, that we were kind of doing our first sort of stuff um, around the same time that they were yet to record. Yeah. You know, it was gold. Happy Mondays, I have to say. were You know, I was a big fan of them. And um, uh, their early stuff was more like Joy Division or, you know, it it was kind of... You know, it was yeah. like a, it was um, much more angular guitar-y, but it had a kind of sloppy groove on it. Uh-huh. Um, but I'd say it wasn't really influencing our first album. I'd say the second album, maybe we were integrating more of the kind of that sort of. Well, Andy was getting really into the house scene. He he'd moved down to the West Country and where his girlfriend was living, and there was a big okay. kind of kind of pop-up rave scene where they'd set up mm. a PA in a field and and all these people uh-huh. would just turn up and take loads of ecstasy. Of course. <laughs> Those are the days. And, um, <laughs> so he was getting more into the kind of straight kind of house house clubs, club music sound. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was really into the sort of the orb and um, mm. uh, the, that kind of sort of chill out yes groove stuff um um and you know elements of um some of the mixes on screen with delica as well have that kind of vibe you know yeah but screen delica came out when our first album came out so to say it was like a massive formative in um influence is kind of kind of hard to say because we were already going but i suppose it kind of sucks soaked in it's interesting um Maybe I'm on to something, maybe I'm not. So I talked to Sean Dixon from the Soup Dragons here recently, and we were talking about the same thing, the the psychedelic dance beat sound vibe that's coming in around this time. And I mentioned Screamadelica too. And, and when I mention it, I never mention it, meaning that anyone is copying them, more that 
that album is an example of the kind of sound I'm talking about, that people are, the bands like yours are mixing all of these things together. And he sort of bristled a little bit similar to to how you just did about, well, Screamadelica was already out, or, you know, we came out first, or we didn't. I It's almost as if no one wants to claim Screamadelica as an influence, which is fine because I wasn't, I that wasn't, my intention i was just trying to think of an album that came out around that time that embodies what i what a yeah, lot of the bands I mean, were doing i'd have to say that me and andy and simon were going to promo scream gigs in our teens like when they yeah. were basically jangly birds trap uh, band <laughs> um and we loved them and we loved the mary chain so when the mary chain were coming out we were like 15 16 17 uh-huh going to their shows. I even actually went to see Soup Dragons when they were like a jangly. Yeah, they, they were they, they were like totally twelve when person. I when I saw we we was there, when I saw them they were like the bass player looked like like he was like twelve. Um but we were only three years you know we were about the same age basically probably. Yeah. But um and they were different bands then, you know. Um yeah. so we were of course influenced by this the the Primal Screams um especially uh Imperial, that album, um, which is basically, you know, folky blues kind of with a, with a rock kind of psychedelia through it, which we we really loved, you know. Yeah. And to be honest, you know, they were moving in this kind of more pop rock kind of route. And Scream Medellica is basically a remix of that cock rock album, you know. Good point, yeah. <laughs> So, so it's kind of like it, it's it's a strange one because, oddly enough, when I live in Walthamstow, there's a studio down the road, um, maybe five minutes from our house, which it was, it was I've learned since was Creation's kind of go-to studio for a lot of their bands, and that's oh. where Andy Andy Weatherall put together Loaded in this oh. tiny studio off of like a little courtyard in in in, wow. in an industrial area. No it's way. still going now, but. Basically, loaded was you know samples from one of their rock rock tracks, you know, yeah. and to, to that so brilliantly done and amazing. And I think that 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 album, or for them, I I feel like that album for them probably evolved whilst it was happening, and yeah. like tracks were being written by them to fit in with the remixes, you know, yeah. so they became a kind of complete entity. Yeah. which was a collaboration in in many ways but i mean i think it kind of stemmed from what andy weatherall had done to some of the you know tracks that they'd written before which were very much you know stonesy that's right the kind of rocky stuff that's so, right. um i'm not sure how much i would you know i actually prefer the early primal scream stuff to their kind of rock uh rock yeah Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm realizing uh, Stephen with talking to you about this particular topic a lot of those bands um, well you guys to some degree Primal Scream um, Stone Roses the second albums the albums after the their breakthrough that would have been considered sort of the Madchester sound or whatever I'm just lumping everything together all three were less dancey and a little drier, a little more rock. You know, the Stone Roses have Second Coming. Primal Scream has Get Your Rocks Off. What's the name of that album? I can't remember what the name of the album is. But anyway, yeah. and then Blood Music for you guys. And it reminds me that similarly back in the early 80s when the synth bands all sort of 
wanted to diversify human league um uh abc a lot of these bands that's the next album after the breakthrough album they didn't want to continue to be synth bands they wanted to break out and prove that they could rock and i wonder if a similar strain may have been going through you guys like we're not just this one thing we don't want to be associated with one scene or one moment or movement we're more diverse than that did does any of this does that even ring true to you um I think in some ways it was more, uh, uh, I don't think it was necessarily a conscious effort to try and okay, change. Okay, that's what I'm um, wondering. Um, I think really what our first album was, was the was the embodiment of like the, the previous five years of us, really. We, and we basically were teenagers when we started. So yeah. it was kind of like the evolution of our music taste as teenagers, Um and the things we wanted to to achieve and we started out actually very much more um noisy um uh, like prior to the first i mean as we were demoing recording doing gigs before getting signed we we we, we were already evolving a more kind of um sophisticated sound um but prior, you know, our, our initial starting points was Stooges covers and Ooh. drone, fuzz drones, sort of rock out stuff. Like, yeah. I mean, and elements of it you can hear still in like Die, Die, Die.
Die, 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 which we kept, which was one of our earliest tunes, which was, you know, a real just a noise out. Um, That's so funny. We I was really, just listening we to that really, yesterday. We were really into Sonic Youth, um, yeah. like the, the sort of era of kind of Bad Moon Rising, Evil and Sister. Those That trilogy of Sonic Youth albums was like really a big influence on us. And um, so that kind of basically making guitar landscapes out of noise was was sort of where we initially that started from. Bad. and then as 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 we kind of got more nuanced in our songwriting it became more of a kind of a layering of of more ambient sounds rather yes. than pure pure filth um although you know we <laughs> tried to tried to get keep the distortion like you know uh -huh flying throughout all that stuff but it was just a natural thing so onwards from there i think we kind of reached a point where we'd come we'd 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 realized our ambitions with 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 whirlpool and uh -huh. to get to move and and also like i said andy moved out of london and was getting really into the house scene i was uh -huh. um, in london and um more getting more into things like Roxy music and um wow and, I mean I'd been to Bowie all the time because I have an older brother who was mm. about eight years older so he was like a teenager in the mid 70s and was had all the Bowie albums and Dylan albums and yeah. although he went down a prog route and got really into Genesis and that sort of stuff and, and <laughs> I wasn't a big fan of that no <laughs> that's never um, taken with me either no, but Bowie, he, those though. albums were still there in his collection, uh -huh. you know, and he had some Roxy Music stuff, but also like some, you know, Talking Heads. He had, uh -huh. you know, um, uh, Once in a Lifetime, Seven Inch and stuff like that, which yeah. was amazing. So, um, but yeah, so I, 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 I was kind of feeling like, a, I suppose there was an element where that sound was being... Um, the sound of the first album and other bands of it being a little bit sort of insipidly mm. um wistful uh, and a little bit flop of uh -huh. you know a little bit bay bay uh -huh. and i kind of felt like that really wasn't us i i was uh -huh. probably the one that was the most into like just noise and yeah. it being more experimental and i I'd grown a little bit uncomfortable about how poppy we'd become and um um and how um our sound was kind of drifting from the roots of what I hoped we would do, which was make make quite challenging mm -hmm. um experimental music, you know. So mm -hmm. I think that with that second album we were all smoking a lot. Um, yeah. we were kind of I think it went down the route of well, we're into psychedelia, so let's see. He, Andy, latched onto the psychedelia of kind of of the the house scene, and the 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 the, the ecstasy and, and and acid sort of side of uh -huh. it. Um, and um, and I I kind of went down the more sort of uh, classic psychedelia route, I uh, suppose. But it that involved, makes sense. It, you know, and also we weren't necessarily particularly happy with the second album, and as for, as far as its production, it it came across a little bit too slick, and that was kind of ah. record, record company pressure to sort of have hit records and stuff. Yeah. You know? Um, and because Andy had kind of taken a step back at that point because he was kind of 
listing out in West Country. <laughs> um, so I sort of he wasn't really writing. So I think there was a lot of pressure on him to write another Pearl, you know. And yeah, he, like I'm not. You can't just do that, you know. Right. So I sort of stepped in where they were like, we need some singles because we yeah. recorded a lot of stuff, which is kind of what this box set is all about. Really, is is right. is, is actually showing all the gaps between what you hear what was released and what was actually going on so that's why we've done a chronological um account oh, of what we were actually doing you know so yeah the period between the period leading up to the first the second album we were writing a lot of stuff and the label were like yeah yeah you know um but we kind of need to hear a single we you know before we can do any more of this and so yeah we had loads of tracks and, you know, some of them made it onto the album and uh, some of them made it on in different forms because of producers we were asked to work with and others were written kind of trying to, to give the label a hit, uh, you know, single. And so, like, We Are Beautiful and She's a Vision, which kind of were both my songs. Um, and, um, you know, that I'm not sure how comfortable I feel with them now. I, I still like them for the merit of what they were. Huh. I wish I'd have liked them to sound less um, electronic. I'd have liked them to sound more like a band playing. But oh. um, Simultaneously to during this recording of Blood Music, Ashley left the band. So yeah. we he recorded some of the drums, but he had such an instinctive kind of Mitch Mitchell kind of mm. Keith Mooney vibe. He, he he would put a drum roll in every four bars, you know, like he was <laughs> just he he was just had this like this sort of really syncopated touch and possibly wasn't quite right for We Are The Beautiful, which was kind of like, you know, it was a sort of ploddy sort of track, but um, we kind of got, the producer we were with was kind of in love with that Zeppelin ah. big 
which we'd used on Pearl with him. And I think, you know, I would have liked to have not gone back to that uh, on those tracks. He he kind of pulled it out on quite a few of the tracks on that album where it wasn't really necessary, you know. But, mm, maybe. But maybe he had a, felt, he had a formula that, that was working. But um, so, yeah, the, 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 that album is quite distinct jointed in the respect that Andy and I were working quite different routes, but huh. we tried to find a way of unifying it. Um, I mean, we were into each other's stuff, you know, it wasn't yeah. that, and it was just that we were coming from different places a little. And um, so that's why we also wrote, um, mainly Simon and I wrote a lot of little transition pieces of music. Uh-huh. But, uh-huh. Um, we just did a home on a four track and sampler and stuff and, and and cross-faded all the songs yeah. on the album together into one piece. I noticed that. Um, yeah. Let me ask you, maybe my favorite Chapter House song at all, of all, Is There Still Life? life mm-hmm. off that second album um and i'm realizing as we're talking the reason i like it might be because of you because first of all it's got great slide guitar on it i don't know but i assume that might be you and then i love the like acoustic sort of breakdown there's that part where everything goes away except the acoustic guitar and mm-hmm. then uh it builds back up are either of those sounds you um i think i played the acoustic but is Simon's song is one song on that. In, in fact, the, the f- first and only solo song that he released for Chapter House. Really, that's that's his song. He's singing it. Okay. Yeah. Um, and um, he would never. Um, he he loved slide guitar, so that's ah, all his. All the okay. slide guitar on that album, like on every time he the slide guitar on that, it's pretty amazing. Um, yeah. So yeah, that song is Simon, really. Okay, I, mean, I knew he we, wrote it, but I didn't know if yeah. he covered all the slide, all the guitar no, bits no, too, he or played if that the, you. He, he would have. I think he wrote the chords. I would have recorded the acoustic because we all kind of we always wanted everyone involved in playing, you know, whatever, yeah. whatever the. But um, 
whoever wrote it, you know, everyone who kind of brought their own musical kind of yeah. input. But it would have been playing Simon's chords and also arrangements and such were, were a kind of communal thing as well, like how they would, how a song would structure. So that drop down is, yeah, it's, um, it, the, the nice thing about it is Ashley's syncopated, it's like a five, four beat or something. It's like oh. a, he's just really, it's, it's different and, yeah. it, and um it rolls back on itself and yeah. that ashley's was great at that kind of stuff he, he there's another track then will rise um on a b-side that me and ashley and andy wrote and again the drums on that are just like this kind of revolving groove uh-huh. um but um yeah, I, I I must admit I love that I love that song on that record, and mainly because I didn't have you know it wasn't me. It wasn't your responsibility. <laughs> Simon's just released. Simon's just released a a solo album, the first solo album. Oh really? Oh, I'll have to yeah. check that out. Okay. Yeah, it's on Big Potato Records, and it's interesting because he he came to live with me for a while a few years ago, um, and was living in my attic, and he just bought. Logic, like with some, uh, when soft music software, recording software, and was getting his head around that. And I've been using it for years with my um, composition work, so I was uh-huh. trying to give him a crash course on on it. And he was getting his head around it and and trying to like, and he was starting those songs in that room, um, trying to whisper the vocals <laughs> and stuff, so he didn't disturb anyone. Um, and and on, I actually because it came out on vinyl and I didn't order it. I I actually listened to it yesterday for the first time on Spotify. Yeah, how was it? I'd only heard two singles from it. It was so interesting because it was really, you know, it, uh, Simon and I have been best mates since we were like 12, 13, something like that. Uh-huh. So um, we kind of, and we've remained that close since, you know, so it's... Um, it's really interesting. It was so, it was so, it, it, it epitomized him <laughs> and my, uh, really? it's really good. It's really good. I mean, he, he's, he's quite open lyrically. He's very, he's a bit more honest and, um, psychedelia is really good in it. It's, it's, um, it's kind of a home recording. If you, you can kind of tell it's a home recording in some okay. respects, but, but that's nice because he's had control over every element of it, you know, it's yeah. not, it's, um, so I, I loved it. Yeah, I was really Good. blown away. I, I sent a text him last night saying how much I loved it. And it's, I just looked it up. It's called Everybody's Thinking. I'll have, now that great. I know it's there, I'll listen to it after we're done here. That's great. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm really proud of the guy because, you know, it's been a long time coming. And yeah. he's, while Andy, Ashley and I continued in music as far as like composition as composers, um, he, he, he's gone off into doing... Um, He's a compositor of visual effects. He basically does like computer generated stuff on big feature films and TV series where like someone says, I need a castle on that hill over there with like fires and, and and he he can just, he creates it. Really? Yeah. Um, Wow. So he, and he's doing really well. He's doing really well in that. So for him to kind of, he's having had to keep music as a kind of hobby, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so and, um, yeah. let me ask you this. I mean, 
the chronology box set, I mean, it's six deep CDs worth of material for a band that only ever put out two albums, unfortunately, in their in their time. It sounds like everyone gets along. I know you all have other jobs now, but is there any chance of, could you play some shows? Could you go on at least a little bit of a tour to promote this thing? Well, we've spoken about it a little bit this, this year when we knew this, because um, this box set's been like five years in the making, really. it started out, and I've been kind of holding the reins with it just because it's, uh, I'm, I'm kind of Mr. Organized, but um, it's more tricky now than it's ever been in some ways. We did actually really reunion in 2009, 10, mm-hmm. and that was 20 years after we played um, but previously. And, um, and we'd been asked for many years, and it just kind of came to a point where, um, where it happened at the right moment, where we were, we were asked someone. Me, Andy, and Ash were all doing pretty well, like... Um, financially so it wasn't like it wasn't any need for us to make money from it so it was yeah. just a jolly, a jolly really you know yeah um and we did it with um we had to kind of fit it around our, our commitments to the to the studio um and simon again he was still he was working visual effects then so all of us were trying to fit it around jobs but it was great we because we could, we did. We basically said, if we're going to reform, it's going to take a few months of rehearsals. Uh-huh. And we're not going to do it for just a couple of shows, you know, because yeah. it's yeah. Well, it's a big commitment to remember all that stuff and to get good at it again. We're not going to do yeah. it if we're, unless we're really shit hot, you know. Yeah. So yeah. Um, we, the guys that had proposed us reforming, you know, we said, look, if you can put together a Japanese tour and that American tour, um, then then we'll we'll consider it you know we'll go we will be up yeah. for it so that that's what happened basically we did like you know with the japanese things three gigs but it paid for us and all our families to go out there and nice. spend 10 days just having a good time and you know um it, it didn't make us money but it it was like it just paid for a good time yeah. with yeah with your oldest friends you know um yeah and uh, so that was the most fun thing about it was like actually the rehearsals just us all being in a room together playing was like some of the most fun. I bet, I bet. But, so, and you know, it kind of I I was doing a lot of organising for that, and I, it really burnt me out. Like if we did this thing again, I don't want to. I want it on yeah. the platter, basically. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> um, let me. Ask, so, why did so it end? Why why then only two albums? There's obviously. Lots of more material, which I want to dive into here in a second, because yeah. most of it I hadn't heard. Why only two albums? What was the cause of the breakup? Well, it was um, we decided to split, split just so that it would end. Um, really, we just so it was end, like we couldn't take it anymore. It, it, it. Oh, I, I kind of needs a bit of background, background, but basically, the second album. Um, the record company kind of invested quite a lot of stead in it and money into it. Um, and we were getting quite a lot of interest in the States with that record. We were touring it in the States. Um, and we had like Arista there were really, really, uh-huh. really into it. Um, and, um, and then we got a, 
uh, affidavit or a legal letter through to us, faxed to us on tour in the States. And it was basically uh, an instrumental on uh, on blood music, which Ashley and Andy put together. It's, uh, Ashley and um, Simon wrote, which is kind of like a psychedelic dub kind of uh-huh. track, which um, we were doing down at youth studio in um, uh, Butterfly, it's called. Yeah, in, he's been on um, here. I love youth. Yeah, and we were we were um, doing with a guy called Simon Posford, who was a kind of one of youth proteges. So he had uh-huh. like little, he had studios all around this big townhouse in Brixton, uh-huh. um, and it was like a, just a den of kind of creativity. There was people do just like people wandering in and out. The house. Drugs everywhere. Come yeah. on, we're talking about youth. Drugs this, everywhere. This was the height of our of yeah. our yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. But basically, whilst we were doing this instrumental, um, the guy pulled out a dat of a of a recording that um, Youth had done of a friend of his, in, in, an American poet in New York, reading his poetry, and this guy kind of started throwing it into the mix through loads of delay and stuff. Uh-huh. And we were, like, you sure this guy's going to be cool with it going on there? And it's like, yeah, he's a friend of Youth's. Like, yeah, it'd be fine, you know. Uh-huh. Anyway, he wasn't. <laughs> and he was he was having a fallout with youth at the time too about various stuff to do with big life records and um he was friends with alex patterson of the orb but that sort of stuff probably not really worth going into but suffice to say he got legal aid and managed to, and sued us for like he's uh. using his sample so uh, basically mid tour we were like told look we just they they were we were asked to withdraw the album from the shelves, basically. Yeah. Um, which didn't happen, but basically what happened was they just pulled the plug on that album. Um, so yes. we came back, we came back from that tour, and that was it. And it was like write another album. Ah, <laughs> uh, oh, really? Meanwhile, meanwhile, with a big debt, you know, that had been accrued through, you know, some of the videos. We are the beautiful and like sixty five thousand pounds you know like crazy money being spent yeah. on stuff like that which anyway so we just went back and started writing through the whole of 94 or 95 we were demoing um kind of waiting to a third album option to be taken up you know so that we could survive really Right. Um, because you only get paid when the option for the next album's up, you know. And we right. were signed for five five albums. But basically, you know, Britpop was on the rise then and alternative bands were basically writing very catchy, radio-friendly pop songs. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just weren't really built that way. I mean, it wasn't what yeah. we were. And, right. um, and they, that was what was being expected of us. So we kind of kept writing and writing and then uh, it came to a point at the beginning of 95, we just sort of, we just said, look, we're not going and they're not going to put anything out, but they also won't drop us. Yeah. And we got a bit jaded by the whole process of like being told to write a hit single, you know, and yeah, it, it just wasn't, the fun had gone out of it, you know? So yeah. we all parted on good terms, but we just said, let's just forget this. you know. Yeah. So that's basically wow. what we did. Wow. Um, originally with Blood Music, it was accompanied by an extra disc. One of our listeners, Roger Boge, 
Boge, Bogue. I've never said his last name out loud. Sorry, Roger. Um, he wanted to know what the story of that was. Like why, what was, because it didn't last. And, and I can't remember if that song we're talking about was on that second CD and that's why it got taken off. What the, do you mean the um, Pentamerous Metamorphosis, the remix, um, Global Communication remix? It's Global Communication, yeah. Yeah. That was um, Mark and Tob, who were, they were from down where Andy was living in the West Country. Um, and friends, they were in this scene with the AFX twin. Um, and they were all kind of like in this sort of electronic scene. Had a band called Reload and the Jedi Knights putting out kind of like um, electro sort of jungly sort of um, drum and bassy things. Um, and then um, Andy got to know Tom. And they were, in fact, it was, I think it was Andy suggested to um, our label boss or, or label manager, like, well, what about if we got them to do a remix once? And she said, she apparently, I thought it was us that came up with it, but it's only from doing the sleeve notes on this box set, I found out that <laughs> that, um, that it was Karen said, why don't they do the whole album? And we're like, yeah, cool, yeah. Let's yeah. never, no, we give them so we gave them stems to every track on the album and just said, Come back with something, yeah. And we knew that it would be great because we really, really admired their stuff, but it couldn't have been more great. I mean, it was they were really on a peak at that moment and they they hit a kind of a kind of um a real synergy. Uh -huh. that when it all just kind of it's just an amazing record we, we yeah. were like really happy with it and then they actually signed to dedicated off the back of that and put out their seminal global communication album as well which was um um both of which were reissued last year on warp on vinyl okay. um and it's one of the reasons why we um this our box set's been delayed quite a lot of time because um we had some legal issues over uh um the ownership of that record because it was a remix album we paid for so it was our it was a chapter house record got it but, uh, but along the lines it had been reissued by uh, some various bits of bmg and somehow it had been the paperwork had kind of shifted to it, it being their album yeah so when we as requested to reissue it on this box set they were like well it's not your record <laughs> like yeah it fucking is <laughs> so anyway um, we ended up with a stalemate with Sony because they wouldn't admit that there'd been a mess up and they, and they were never going to do that. So we, yeah. we ended up going to Mark and Tom, who we have remained, you know, 
uh-huh. friends with just said like this is kind of crazy what the hell should we do and so in the end we just said look and then that's when we found out they were putting out a reissue of it themselves ah <laughs> it's further down the route than us so yeah we just said look how about if we just say that it belongs to all of us even evenly like mm. we'll just give you half a bit and then just say we're we're, we're split and we're even and that'll allow yeah. you to put your reissue out we can put our reissue out and yeah let's be done with it because we'd already given them all song credits on that album which is pretty unheard of for remixes no kidding you just felt they'd done such an amazing job of it or they they deserve credit for for the yeah so, so it's credited for me andy ashley me andy and simon who wrote all the songs on that uh-huh. album um, and mark and tom i um, see okay um, but the actual sound recording was ours but yes it, you paid for it which became yeah. theirs some, along the line. And so we basically uh-huh. said, okay, well, let's just say it it's evenly belongs to both of us. And then uh, Sony were happy with that. Okay. So, um, that, and that's really how it came about. I mean, this is, again, it's all in the sleeve notes. We were talked about how that concept evolved. And it's it's it, an album that wouldn't have existed without us instigating it. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like curated by us. And it uh-huh. is made up of snippets of things we wrote like you can in every track you can hear where it came from yeah Um, and um and that's the lovely thing about it is you can hear you can hear riffs you wrote or songs you wrote drifting in out of these amazing Uh landscapes and it's it's a i you know I, i i can listen to it as a non not one of our records but it's like being uh-huh. one of records in a dream or something <laughs> yes that's well uh-huh. said speaking yeah. of which i want to ask you about some of the findings that i had on chronology i'm still working through it it's a lot but yeah. like for instance disc four is alpha beta gamma delta epsilon it's all they're all long instrumental kind of groovy trance remixes yeah, of that, something that is- what is that that is the Global Communication album. That's it? Okay. So that's I wasn't the remix sure. album. Yeah. Okay. So that's that's basically five tracks made out of blood music. Okay. That's what I... Um, yeah. I never got to hear that extra album because I've only ever no, just had... Well, the... it's, it's, um, it's, it was just initially uh, in a paper sleeve extra with uh, the first thousand CDs yeah, or whatever. Okay. Then when Global Communication caught bigger off of their actual album that came out and dedicated then the a few years down the line and it gained it gained a kind of cult status uh, it was reissued um on cd as global communication and yeah. then and then and then more recently warp wanted to reissue it alongside their global communication album um so it's not there's not been many of each copy i never had it i even had a copy i hadn't i went to a wedding in toronto many years ago and saw it in a record store and bought it because i hadn't really? had a copy of it <laughs> uh, like this is me i'm this bad <laughs> yeah. um and so um yeah it's been nice in fact the nice thing was is that uh, mark had had um the that album remastered for this release by okay. someone who's really good mark's living in, in australia now but and doing sort of um, electro, he's been working with Tom York quite a lot. Um, Ooh, wow! Um, the singing, who's singing over his kind of 
beats and stuff. It's just okay. really good stuff. Really good stuff. Wow. Just check out Mark Pritchard's solo stuff. I will. Um, and um, uh, he offered for us to use that master that he'd had done for us. So he sent me over the um, all the files, and we used that to master the CD. Okay. So, but theirs came ah. out on on, on a really heavy quality. Vinyl. Yeah. Um, well, now we've got it. That's great. I wondered what yeah. the story of all that was. Um, yeah. Something else, and maybe I'm an idiot because, like I said, I I just have the two proper albums. I never dug into like the singles or you know B sides or mm -hmm. things that were imports, whatever. One of the songs that really grabbed me while I was listening was "Mesmerize." Mm -hmm. I didn't realize until afterwards that that song is on your greatest hits because I never listened to the greatest hits because I thought okay. I've got the two albums. I don't need a greatest hits. You know what I mean? Yeah. the story of mesmerize was that a standalone single that what was it what's was the deal? yeah it was after it was released after whirlpool so we had the first three eps the free fall ep sunburst so that was basically falling down and something more eps pearl ep and then whirlpool and then yeah. at the end of 91 we put out mesmerize which is again another ep which um and actually, that was our biggest chart hit, <laughs> chart success. Really? But, I mean, the album went in at 26 in the mainstream album charts, which is pretty good for an indie band, to be honest. Um, uh -huh. um, but Mesmerize came out at a very awkward time because it was when um, Robin of Sherwood was really massive, that film with, um, with uh, what's his face? Um, um guy from Waterworld. Oh, God. I can't remember his name. Oh, yet. Uh, Kevin Costner? Kevin Costner, yeah. And there was a big wet, wet, wet single hit record from the title sequence, and it had been in the Tumumba one in the charts for like 
six or seven weeks or something uh-huh. leading up to the week we released Mesmerize. And we got the pre, uh, pre-release pre chart like based on, on pre-sales what we were going to be in the top 10 uh-huh. <laughs> singles chart. Uh-huh. But because this record had been on number one for so long, all the major labels were like basically desperately trying to knock it off the top spot by pushing records, basically giving away free copies. And like uh-huh. I heard stories of them giving, because they couldn't pay off the chart return shops. Uh-huh. So they could buy them a TV or like, <laughs> like that kind of stuff. So they were doing all this shit and basically uh-huh. swamping the chart with the sales to try and knock off this top slot, which basically swamped what what would have for us been a top 10 single based uh-huh. on the sales that were uh-huh. then. And it went in at like in the day, you know, in the thirties or something like that. But it was, oh, um, no way. But yeah. But again, like, you know, all of our records, even though they had a single, like a, a feature track, were actually the B-sides of the things we're most proud of. So the B-sides of Pearl and the B-sides of Mesmerize, those EPs are actually where where we feel most um, interesting. Wow. Those are the things we we were we were allowed we're left alone to just yeah just record something with no pressure of it being anything but a B-side and yeah. And that's where we had the most well, most fun and creative times in the studio because we were truly experimenting like just stream of consciousness, just doing uh-huh. stuff. You know? setting up stuff in rooms and see what happens if we like you know one track on that we put all of our guitar amps including ashley so there was like four of us all in a in a church it was a big converted chapel studio and then put mics all around the room like and just had us all playing these chords in unison and and just making this big wash yeah. sound you know and that, that that you know and of course of course a lot of smoking yes yes um and those yeah, are heady times yeah and so yeah <laughs> those those were like you know those b-sides um and some of these demos as well that which you know were were where we were almost free yeah so so what on those discs you're hearing a few tracks from between the two albums that we haven't ever been heard heard before yeah, um, some of them did appear on Roundabout, which was a, a which was a, a kind of compilation that dedicated. I have that, to that too. Yeah, um, which we had no involvement with at all. But they they cherry picked a few of those demos that they'd refused to release before. Um, and then the the last final sixth CD is basically everything after Worm well, Blood Music. All the demos we were doing, we still had to whittle it down to take out tracks we didn't feel comfortable with, but both the Andy and I, between us, remastered all of those demos because um, we're both sound technicians. And um, so, and the software is amazing now, what you can do with just a stereo mix, you know. Wow. So we, we could really go into some tracks, some demos that we've done on an eight track reel to reel, and then others in a 24 track studio, and and some on a just in a sampler, you know, uh, we could work on them and match the quality of them together yeah. so that the, so that they sound good you know yeah. um, so um that was I did that most of through last year just getting the archives from sony and um digitizing all the dats and then you know um working on how good we could make them sound yeah. and the, from quite rough mixes some of them you know 
It's um, so good. It's so good to hear all this great chapter house stuff in one place. You mentioned sound sound engineering. What is your job today? You've touched on it a little bit, but like, what do you do? I'm a composer, so I basically am a kind of spoke composer to to brief uh, to to picture. Um, okay. So that encompasses everything from like TV ads um, to trailers to TV theme tunes to uh -huh. like. Pretty much anything that requires music, but and particularly written to a picture. Um, um, and Ashley, Andy, and I have all ended, been doing that for the last twenty, just up to twenty-two years. Um, up until the beginning of last year, we were all with the same company. Um, we basically were the company. <laughs> wow. Um, but um. We Andy started doing it after we split. He started doing dance music with a partner, and then they signed to this label, who also happened to be a bespoke music kind of company. Who, hmm. uh, the guys who ran it were the composers, but then they started pitching some jobs to Andy, which he got quite. Um, and they sort of took him in house, sort of said, "Yeah, do you want to do this? Yeah, permanently with us." And then, um, then Ashley joined. And shortly after then Andy went on honeymoon and I filled in for a bit and they kept me on so basically we ended up being the in-house composers and it was a good gig to get after you know as a, yeah. as a, a musician um, we just happened to have a natural aptitude to kind of write in very diverse genres you know I mean I've always equated it to acting it's like taking on a persona and writing from sure. that persona so if you know what you want to get in your head then you, you can make it make it sound right and convincing right. so you know we've been doing everything from i mean obviously guitar stuff is kind of come easy uh, uh -huh. kind of uh -huh. rolls rolls off your your back but um you know classical drum bass electro and all yeah that okay Everything was really. it tough there for a while when the band kind of went away and before you get you start the second career it, it couldn't have been easy I, I don't know if you picked up other bands or tried to start again but having that flash those few years in the heart of the music industry with the drugs and the parties and the big concerts and all that kind of stuff to go back to kind of nothing was that a hard transition for you it was it was odd in the respect that um our lives weren't very much different in other than when we're touring in a studio, our lives are basically the same. You know, we yeah, weren't we yeah. really made any big bucks in Chapter House. It, our point. lives weren't luxurious other than when we were on tour staying in really nice hotels or, you know, going to restaurants we would have never been able to afford or uh -huh. um um, you know, um so the the touring and being in you know posh studios it was all it was all it was all someone else's money you know although yeah. ultimately asked it was going right. to have to be paid back sometimes right. but it never really filtered down to us on on a on a personal level as like living particularly good you know well um, so the transition was you know obviously um, we had to do some rethinking. Um, Simon joined Mojave 3 and was uh -huh. kind of like a gigging guitarist for them uh -huh. my, Mojave 3 were kind of like that the band were kind of um, it was only really Neil that got a made it made any money from it um, uh -huh. 
but they would get paid if they were toured with them. Um, and then um, I was living in Camden at the time and started a studio in my house, basically. And there's loads of bands in Camden. This is a big kind of centre of young up-and-coming bands. And I was in that scene, you know, going to all the bars and stuff. So um, I started kind of getting into that. I Like I said, I got this eight-track reel-to-reel and this, I mean, walked away from the band with the sampler, which had been filled with memory for us to tour. So uh-huh. I had a pretty great setup and just started recording bands there and then started mm-hmm. doing production around in bigger studios. When bands got signed, I would start producing. And um, so... Anyone we would know? It was a tough time. It was kind of... Some of them... Ballroom were probably one of the ones that made it the best, the biggest. Huh. They got signed to Mother Records, which was um, U2's label, I think. Okay. They, um, but um, it's quite... it Getting into production is quite a hard game because you're only as successful as the record that you last produced. Yeah. Yep. And it's completely dependent on how well the band did, really, rather than yeah. how good the record sounded. So it's kind of living off someone else's luck. Yeah, yeah I could see that. So, I could um, see that. Yeah, so I, so, but um, those years were kind of, uh, to be honest, I was just partying. I just carried on partying. So <laughs> I, had a, I had a boom of a time through those years. Um, uh-huh. I don't know where money came from. It was, you know, it was like, I was probably signing on the dole and um, we were living in a communal house of guys that had all split up with their girlfriends and mm. they were all musicians. There was the guitarist from Sleeper, John, um, Vince from Daisy Chainsaw, me, um, and then a guy that ran the rehearsal studios and we were like the party house of Camden. Uh, yeah. when, when all the bars <laughs> shut, they'd be knocking on our doors like... Right. Party. <laughs> Did so, you ever like bottom out? Um, I had some dark moments at times, but generally it was kind of, I had the support of being in a group of people, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, our girlfriends started, you know, after it being all just guys, all we all got girlfriends and moved in, and it ended uh-huh. up being commune of sort of uh-huh. couple, commune of couples, basically. Uh-huh. But, um, and um, you know, it we were a five minute walk from the center of Camden. You just walk down the road, and something's happening. You yeah, know, there's a, yeah. there's something kicking off somewhere. You know, so yeah. it was I took up until like the late nineties, like uh, where I moved out to um, Shoreditch Hoxton, um, which is another party zone of London. It was kind uh-huh. of East, East End. It's become very, very um, kind of very trendy now. Sort of like. Um, what happened to Williamsburg, you know, okay. kind of <laughs> uh, uh. From a, like industrial sort of warehouses to like city bankers. But um, um, I kind of straightened up a bit more then, although me and Andy and Ashley working together was a recipe for disaster. Mm. I mean, we'd go for a liquid lunch and that would be the day gone. That would be know? the end of the day. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, okay. I get it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to ask you a couple of quick questions before I let you go. We're kind of coming up on time. First of all, yeah, sure. I was reading something that um, Kirsty Hawkshaw sang with you on one of your reunion tours or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. This I don't really even have a question other than her parents 
are really close friends with my parents. Her dad has died. My dad has died. Her dad died like last year or something. So, but for a while, my parents and her parents were really good friends. And she was in uh, Opus 3 for a while. How do you know Kirsty? Well, she um, uh, initially, she was, she actually went out with Tom. I mean, um, Mark Pritchard for a while um, back, oh. back in uh, uh, back at Opus Three, sort of, or after that period. So they worked together a bit, and Andy kind of met her a little bit then. But the, we mainly met her again when um, Ulrich Schnauss, yep, was a massive fan of ours, and kind of was the reason we reformed. Was that he'd done a cover of one of our tracks, and we were asked to play a festival called the Truck Festival by. Sonic Cathedral, who were kind of shoegaze label and club, um, asked who were curating one of the stages, and they asked if we would join or, or would play. And we agreed. Basically, me, Andy, and Simon played for the first time in twenty years with Ulrich. He had his like he, he's a kind of ambient electronic. He was kind of like electronic shoegaze, really. Yeah, um, he kind of was. Yep. Um, anyway, he. Um, we played guitar and sang the song over his remix. And um, and that's kind of what instigated um, being, us actually getting the idea of, well, maybe that was kind of fun, you know, we should do yeah. this. But he had been working with Kirsty for quite a while um, with her singing vocals on his tracks, and she was touring with him. So when he toured with us, he did the whole US and Japan tours with us. Yeah. And and Kirsty was singing for him. So she sang for us on those tours okay. too, doing okay. Rachel's part, um Rachel yep. Oswell's part in Pearl. Yep. She came on and did that. Um no so um and yeah, Kirst, yeah, she yeah, her dad was uh, wrote loads of really yep. Alan really seminal se- se- seminal C V themes. Yep. Yep. You know, real, real classic stuff. Yeah. Um, back in the day. She, yep. Yeah. But yeah, she was lovely to work with for all those years. She's Good. she's re- she's really is she? <laughs> I've never met her. My parents know her, but I've never met her. Oh, <laughs> she's, lo- okay. she's really lovely. She's really lovely. Good. But all right, last question. That childlike in- innocence. Good. You know what I mean? Yeah, I get it. <laughs> um, okay, last question. We've talked a lot about the music and everything, but I want to know what your favorite story is. I mean, for a while there, you guys were players in the music industry it may not have gotten too too huge i don't know how much touring you actually did but did you ever meet a hero did you i don't know was there a great show did you tour the u.s back then tell me what your favorite memory of all of this is when you're sitting there in your studio in london well, I'd, I'd say that um i mean there was lots of surreal moments um there's one of my fondest memories was well, on our first tour of the States, we were playing Phoenix and we were staying in this kind of desert hotel that just had like um, chalets and uh-huh. then a big pool and jacuzzi, hot jib, hot tubs and pool. And we had the run of the place and we were just smoking like nuts. We were totally off our heads and we were just, <laughs> and I was lying in this hot tub, like looking up at the stars yeah and just thinking christ like i just came from this stinky like on the dole in camden in london or whatever and here i am like in this luxury environment um yes. with a split from my hand and looking for the stars um but, but, but 
But if you want a famous one, we did actually bump into Little Richard in the lift in the Hyatt on um on the on the Sunset Strip. We were staying in the Hyatt or the Riot House. Uh-huh. And I can't I think we were coming into the lobby and going towards the lift, and he came out of the lift. And we and my our manager just went, Richard, and then he went, Hey, nice to meet you. And he gave us all the handshake and he was a gentleman. Really? Nice to meet you, nice to meet you, you know. <laughs> I he was living there at the time apparently. He lived in the Hyatt for a couple of years. Like um and so that was yeah, that was pretty nuts. Wow, good for you. Good for you. Who were you kind of playing shows with and touring at the time? Was it like Ride and Charlatans? Um, I just saw them in concert recently. No, we d- we didn't um on our main tours the this- Slow Dive was supported us on uh, some of dive, big sure. London big London shows. Um and um when we went on tour of the uk we took out um um uh moose oh um, sure moose um moose and thousand yard stare were on that on a bill with us we took out a band called spitfire uh-huh. who were like a kind of 60s garage kind of rock kind of band um in the states I think the first tour of the States, we just had whatever whatever was, yeah. uh, local bands were supporting. The second tour of the States we did in with, with the Wonder Stuff double headline. Oh, I love them. Miles so has we, been on here. He's so the we best. Went, so we, we basically did the whole way across with, with Wonder Stuff um, for a whole tour. They were really lovely guys. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, I actually bumped into many years ago. I got a job to do some sound some sound design for a tv station like um they had a new uh identity and they wanted oh, okay. to you know? uh-huh. Uh-huh. and i met the creatives and it was the bass player from wonderstone really you've gone legit yeah <laughs> you're not so, stoned um, rock stars anymore you're corporate yeah. people now <laughs> but, i mean we were very i have to say we were not big fans of wonder stuff um we're just that kind oh. of that kind of um Grebo rock thing was yeah. on the, just a bit too jolly and um and it, yeah it wasn't really my bag but yeah. they were really lovely guys you know good, good. And, um, and that's that's all that matters you know yes it is well, look uh Stephen I love Chapter House I came to them late I wasn't there during the height of it but those two albums have kept me company for many years and I love them and I'm so glad we got to talk about everything especially the new box set because the more more chapter house i can have in my life the happier i am and i've been wanting to do this for a long time so thank you thank you thank you for chatting with me you're more than welcome it's been a pleasure sure i'll let you know when this comes out um and i'll and if you feel like sharing with your fans or whatever please do okay yeah absolutely yeah yeah we're um my to be honest um Oh, the albums bit we've had various reissues over the last few years but yeah. because of that huge debt we weren't ever going to see any money from them uh-huh. like it was just going to get sucked up into that but um so we've kind of not been that involved and not really that bothered about them but um except for the fans getting some something of quality that isn't just ripping them off you know uh-huh. um but sony in the wisdom over the last uh, about two years ago in this program of historic debt and bands never recouping because their own because um streaming doesn't recoup right. 
only physical sales um because that was what their deal was in the first place so yeah. they got you know it was actually um it was tom from gomez who's um pushing this Ooh, um i love Gomez. Um, he, he um he's really got into the whole um uh he made a campaign called broken record and it was about basically streaming um fees and what okay. what bands get how little bands are getting but also historic debt that gomez was still in debt wow but were worse were still but had sold loads of records and but ultimately he i think he brought it to attention but sony have decided to bring in this artist forward program <laughs> where oh. they uh, any band signed prior to 2000 will not have their debt recouped it will go th- pass through any royalties that come in will actually be passed on to the band um, as, nice. as, if, as if they'd recouped. Oh. So, so we're actually going to see some money from this release. That is great. <laughs> so, oh, uh, that's my, great. So my partner's been doing some of the social media crap, like getting an Instagram together. Our Facebook page hadn't been touched since 2010. <laughs> yeah, I noticed. <laughs> and, and just just because it would be great to get yeah. this this you know have this sell out before it's even released you know and then have print more up you know because this is really was every element of it was um was controlled and and curated by us so it's that yeah. you know very little of the been released before we've had that much involvement in. that's and great this, this is really our baby you know this is and it's done how we wanted it, the tracks on it are how we wanted them sound and yeah. you know it retells a story that I think a lot of people have a fragmented, kind of distorted view of. Yeah, you know that that you know there's the kind of like oh they sold out with a second album kind of stuff, mm. you know, and mm. um, making assumptions based on what was right. released. If you can hear what happened between it. I think you can get a better idea of what we were doing. You know, I agree. I've seen different dates. I think it. May 23rd is one date I saw, and then June 6th is another date I saw. So I don't know when exactly it's going to come out. I think it's May, May, 20, May 26th in the, in the UK. Oh. Yeah. Okay, okay. Well, then we'll time this to come out around then, end of May, mm-hmm. beginning of June, to kind of help get the word out with mm-hmm. everybody. That would be great, yeah. I mean, it's um, it's nice that it, I, I, haven't, I haven't been involved in it, but Sarah and my partner's kind of – she's a – virtual pa so she's uh, like shit hot on like social media posting and how to get the most uh-huh. you know hits and interest and all that kind of shit so she's been um she's been i mean within a couple of days we had like you know 1500 instagram followers and they're all yes. going nuts going like yes. what the hell's happening i can't believe this is happening you know, it's kind of <laughs> that's what you like, want that's how yeah, it works yeah. these days yeah, there's no top exactly. of the pops anymore. There's just top of Instagram or whatever. Yeah, and it is. also interestingly, she said that the the age profiles like of those people are like some, like ten percent are in their teens. Like what? Or, really? So, yeah. So, oh, that's great. Yeah. Uh, I hope this leads yeah. to more. I I'm so happy for you guys. I just love you yeah. so much. And I hope this leads to a tour of the state so I can finally see you guys live. Well, I hope so. It's just been hard to persuade and we'll see what happens. <laughs> I get it. I get it. Yeah. Thank you, Stephen. We'll be in touch. Take okay? care, man. Good to right. talk. Yeah. Take care. Bye bye. See you later.
All right, there you have it. Stephen Patman from Chapter House. Again, I hope you heard some things that you like. I love this band. I wanted to close it out. This was a B-side. It's called Age. And again, you this is on chronology, but unless you were really digging for all of their singles and imports and all that kind of stuff, you probably didn't hear Age because it wasn't on either of the proper two albums. And check out chronology. Um, and if nothing else, go buy their original albums. I got both of them on CD, of course. And uh, I love them. I still listen to Whirlpool, especially all the time. They're both great. Huge thanks to our favorite teddy bear, the lovable, wonderful Ken Mills. Ken Mills stepped in to produce this episode for us. He had a lot of other things going on in his life and he did it anyway. We are so grateful for him and we love him so much. Uh, one or two more episodes with guest producers and then hopefully Yan comes back. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, by the way, next week, speaking of guest producers, our guest next week, boy, how do you describe this band? Post-punk mixed with a lot of avant-garde mixed with some Captain Beefheart. Um, you probably know them. If you're a big music nerd, you definitely know them. Um, but they're an odd one. And their lead singer is a notoriously interesting, prickly, creative guy. And uh, he's on next week. That's who we're talking to. So anyway, come back next week for that one because it's a wild one. Um, you guys know you can find our page on Facebook. You can like us, give us a like on there, send us a message. You can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com or you can find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. All right? Thanks, everybody. We love you. <laughs>